another edition of St. Paul's Letters to America. I'm your host for this program. My name is Ray Gerard. And today we're going to be uh we're going to be talking about oh, something that I think a lot of people might uh, might say is maybe an exaggeration, a little overblown. But the title for our program today is The Age of the Antichrist, Part 1. This is St. Paul's Letters to America. It is the program that asks, what if St. Paul were alive today? What if he were here uh, and was able to speak to us here in America? What if he could write a letter to us in America? What would he tell us? Would he say anything different than what he told people 2,000 years ago? Or would he say exactly the same thing, because, same things because the truth does not change? Well, on this program, we're going to give you a letter that he would write to America if he were here still today. And uh, today, that letter is, is the following. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who restrains is to do so only for the present. Um, we... Um, uh, let's see. Um, I've got to. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who restrains is to do so only for the present, until he is removed from the scene, and then the lawless one will be revealed. The one whose coming springs from the power of Satan in every mighty deed, and in signs. At wonders in wonders that lie. But we ought to give thanks to God, for he's called you through our gospel to possess the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stand firm and hold fast to the traditions that you were taught by a letter of ours. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who has loved us and given us everlasting encouragement and good hope through his grace encourage your hearts and strengthen them in every good deed and word. Now, this is uh, this is taken from a reading that Paul originally wrote uh, to the Thessalonians. Uh, it is the same as what he would uh, tell us today. Um, there are things that do not change. There are truths. There's a lot in our society, a lot of people today who think the truth is a floating thing. It's it's a relative thing. It depends on your point of view. It's a matter of opinion. But on the other hand, are there not? Is there not a reality? Is there not a world uh, outside of this one, one that we can't see? Are there not, in fact, truths because of that world we cannot see? Certainly, the Greeks thought so. This has been something that man has thought throughout uh, throughout. His existence here on this on this earth, there are truths. St. Paul certainly thought so. And here, in this reading, he's talking about 
the mystery of lawlessness already being at work. And that, I mean, it's an apocalyptic, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a depressing kind of a reading because he says, the one who restrains is to do so only for the present and he will be removed from the scene and then the lawless one will be revealed. And he talks about that lawless one as, as a person whose power springs from Satan. Um, and, um, and then, so, so it's a very, like I said, apocalyptic, you know, depressing kind of a reading where there will come this, this end time, will it not, where there will, there will be this one great significant uh, historic person who will lead people astray, will try to, you know, contradict everything that Christianity stands for, that kind of a, you know, supreme diabolic being uh, making a, an appearance here on earth. So are we living with that? Well, we're not going to, you know, make any, you know, dramatic pronouncements or take the stance that that's actually the case. But nevertheless, can we look at trends? What if, um, what if this Antichrist were actually to appear on the earth? What are the types of things he would promote? Are we seeing any of those same types of things today? And if we are, <laughs> that ought to scare the heck out of us. But, you know, Paul ends this reading. That's something very hopeful. Talks about giving thanks to God because of the gospel, because of Jesus Christ. And he says, stand firm and hold fast to the things that you were taught. Uh, because, you know, um, God has, has loved us and he's given us everlasting hope. So be encouraged in order to do every good deed and word. To do every good deed and word. And in fact, isn't that... Um, isn't that the antithesis of the Antichrist? It is Christian to, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's really the, the ultimate example of being a, a Christian, of trying to follow Christ, to in everything that we do, every word that we utter, try to do good for other people. And what would be the opposite of that? Well, obviously to try to do harm with everything that we do. And Paul, and this, the one passage about Paul, there are references in the Bible to the Antichrist. Most of them are written by John. There's one that comes from Paul, and it's this one. And what does Paul point out? He points out lawlessness. Now, why would lawlessness be something that could be associated with the Antichrist? Why would that, why would that be? Um, it's, um, and if you think perhaps that maybe we're over-dramatizing this, uh, even in what we're saying so far, uh, to be thinking in these terms. Um, you know, recently there's a, there's a cardinal from the Netherlands, Willem, uh, Will, yeah, Willem Ake, I think is how you might pronounce his name. And he talked about the fact that he cannot, in, in these times, with the challenges that the church is facing, he says he cannot help but think of Article 675 of the Catholic Catechism. And that one talks about the fact that before Christ's second coming, the church must pass through a final trial. Similarly, Cardinal uh, Gerhard Mueller uh, recently wrote about the last trial of the church. 
and that it is incumbent upon us not to keep silent about the truths of the faith. Um, so there are peop- other people thinking along these lines. And again, it's probably not necessarily associated with any particular person uh, being that singular antichrist figure. But it's more like, well, what is going on? Is not the church facing trials? Are there not things in our modern, uh, modern society, our modern, modern culture that we can look to as, as trends and say, well, gee, you know, wouldn't they be signs of, of the Antichrist? Wouldn't they be similar to or consistent with what somebody like an, an Antichrist would, would promote? Um, if you, in fact, look at the word diabolic, right? If you, you know, you, you want to look at the meaning for the word that describes uh, the devil, that word diabolic means to scatter. Now, isn't that interesting? To scatter. Paul talks about lawlessness, and the word diabolic means to scatter. This is part of, I mean, it is part of, of Christian thinking, part of Christian beliefs. I mean, it is consistent with Christianity to think that, you know, the devil would be the opposite of order. He would be disorder. You know, if you believe in a God who's created everything, you believe in a God who is love itself, then there's there's order to things. Uh, if you believe in a truth, any truth, if you believe in the fact that there is truth, then there is an order to things. Um, and if you, um, you know, believe that there is no God, for example, then nothing would be ordered. I mean, what you know? The, there's no purpose to life. I mean, what would be the meaning for anybody um, on this earth? I mean, if if we simply live out, you know, seventy, eighty years, whatever time we have on this earth, and then we're done, you know, what's the meaning? And if there's no real meaning to a single person, no ultimate meaning, no lasting meaning, no eternal, you know, beyond the time that we die kind of meaning. Now, what kind of meaning is there for groups of people? If there's no meaning for an indiv- for one person, how could there be meaning for a group of people? And if there's no meaning for a group of people, then there'd be no meaning for society at large. And if people believe that, then you would have chaos. You would have disorder. Um, and that is, um, that is uh, the mark of this, um, of an anti-Christian a kind of world, would it not? Um, if um, if you don't have peace, Jesus at the Last Supper said, "Peace I leave with you; my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give it to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled or afraid. Peace I leave with you. Peace, peace. In the uh, in the Catholic Mass." Peace is spoken of at the beginning. Peace is spoken of at the end. Peace is spoken of over and over you know, during the course of the Mass. Peace is a really important concept. Why? Why is this peace important? Uh, it is, in fact, um, an indication of order. If things are in order, um, then you can relax. Things are, things are under control. The times that we have... You know, the utmost anxiety 
Uh, and stress is when we think that there are things in our life that are beyond our control. And then we'll, we'll strive and claw to try to get, it, you know, get that back. Uh, we'll worry. We'll, uh, we'll stress over the future. You know, people, you know, for example, have to worry about where their next meal is coming from. That's a heck of a worry. But if things are stable, um, if you're fortunate enough that you, you know, you have a, a steady income and uh, you don't have to worry about that next meal, if you have a roof over your head, um, you know, then, then in fact you can relax a little bit. Uh, there is peace in your life, and of course that peace is just superficial peace. If you're only worried about material things, you know, there's, there's. Um, you know, in some sense, we're all always going to be worried about, well, what about, you know, um, any kind of a life after this? You know, what is there in store for me? I mean, if you are lucky enough so that you know what's in store for you the next day, the next week, the next year, because you got this good, you know, steady income and, so, and you got a nice house and all those sorts of things, that still doesn't answer the ultimate question. You know, what about... After this, I mean, that only settles, you know, your worldly concerns. All of us have other worldly concerns as well. What is, you know, what is ultimately in store for us? So, you know, how do you, how do you get over that? And the answer to, you know, to both, you know, both of these, is, of course, is peace. Um, and when Christ talks about giving people peace. Um, you know, he's he's obviously trying to, um, you know, allay all fear. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled or afraid. Do not be afraid. And that's, do not be afraid. 365 times in the Bible that is mentioned, do not be afraid. If we're afraid, we will draw farther, farther away from God. If, in fact, uh, we have a, you know, if, if we are at peace then we can grow closer to God. We've got time to think about God. Our attention is not going to be distracted or, or turned away. Um, and that's important. That's, that, that's why it's important to have times of prayer when you quiet yourself down and speak and try to speak to God, try to listen to God. You know, when Christ says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, what kind of peace would be Christ's peace. When he says, my peace, I mean, think about that for a minute. Would it, what kind of peace does Christ have? Christ, I mean, being God, knows um, that he has all power. Um, you know, knows that uh, he loves everybody. He doesn't have to be afraid of the devil. He doesn't have to be afraid of anything. It's a I mean, what kind of a all-pervasive, eternal, unlimited peace would there be in the heart of Christ? We can only imagine. But he says that peace is what he gives us, this deep, tremendous spiritual peace. Um, not as this world gives. He's, he, he, and the fact that it is a spiritual peace, I mean, he, he indicates this, not as this world gives to you, do I give to you. So he's giving this tremendous spiritual peace. Well, what can, in fact, disturb that? What can disturb that? Anything. 
You know, I mean, if people, you know, um, stir up anxiety, uh, you know, be afraid of this, be afraid of that, be afraid of this, you're not going to be, you know, uh, spending, you know, quiet time, you know, worrying, you know, think, trying to get, trying to get closer to God, and anything that draws you farther away from God is, in fact, um, something that would be a mark of an antichrist, of the antichrist. So. This is the difference, order and peace uh, versus, versus chaos. And, as St. Paul says, lawlessness. If there is lawlessness, then you're very much worried about tomorrow. You're worried about walking, you're worried about the present moment. You're worried about walking down the streets in safety. Um, you're worried about, you know, I mean, you're going to get a sense that there is no order to society, things are out of balance. Things are out of control. Um, if there's, you know, no laws to control people, um, you know, how's how's this how's this going to work? If rules don't apply to certain people, rules don't apply to us. Anybody can do anything they want. You're going to be afraid of everybody you meet. And then, if you're afraid of of everybody in every moment, uh, you're going to be, you know, so disturbed, so distressed. Um, you're not going to be able to get close to God because God is, of course, peace. Nothing will worry you if you have, you know, faith in God. So do we have marks of lawlessness? Uh, do we have indications of this in our society today? You know, in terms of this whole idea of the, the Antichrist, you can see a variety of different things in our society that kind of do mark this as uh, an age of an antichrist or antichrist trends, antichrist type um, ideas. Um, for example, what would you expect in an age of an antichrist? You would expect an anti-God kind of uh, firm, uh, you know, f- a fever. You would expect, um, as I'm saying, um, you know, lack of peace. Uh, a lawlessness. You would expect an anti-law kind of attitude. What about freedom? Wouldn't you expect an opposition to freedom, an anti-freedom kind of aspect to things? Freedom, of course, is a gift from God. Um, If humans don't have the freedom to do what they want, to think what they want, to say what they want, to be who they want to be, that, too, is going to create all kinds of worry. It's going to create turmoil. It's going to create a struggle to be able to do what you want, think what you want, say what you want. Uh, we were born free. That is a gift uh, from on high. Anything that takes that away is a gift from someplace else, from something else, not from God. So that would be uh, a mark of an anti-Christian age. Uh, I would also say um, you'd find an anti-people kind of feeling, an anti-people kind of ideas. What do I mean anti-people? Things that break people apart. Anything that um, disunites us. Anything that breeds disharmony. And of course, again, that goes back to the idea of peace. It's another facet of not having peace. If we are taught to not trust each other, not like each other. If kids are taught not to trust parents, to, to dislike parents, um, if basic relationships are, are broken, um, this, 
it's an anti-people. It's an, an anti-people kind of uh, characteristic to society. If that is present, that is also a feature of um, an anti-Christ type time. And then lastly, uh, there would be an anti-hope kind of attitude. We'd be worried. Again, goes back to this idea, whole idea of peace. You'd be worried about things. There'd be no hope for the future. Um, tomorrow's going to be, tomorrow will be bad. There'll be all types of things tomorrow that will not be good. Um, so, you know, this, and and then, of course, if you didn't have hope for the future, then you, again, would, would end up being worried. You'd be stressed. You'd be thrown into anxiety. These are just some characteristics of, of an antichrist. Are they not? I mean, isn't the, aren't Christian ideas the reverse? Wouldn't Christ promote uh, and teach the reverse? Instead of anti-God, wouldn't he teach, of course, faith and love and worship of God? Wouldn't he teach, um, you know, respect for, uh, for order? Wouldn't he teach that there is, um, you know, that there is... Um, you know, authority that, that should be respected. Certainly that's been a tenet of the Catholic Church all along. All throughout its history, it's taught obedience, even when obedience is painful. And there are writings of St. Paul that speak strongly about that. Um, because, of course, um, you know, while you can, we can, you can disagree with, with laws that are not proper, you can't let it disturb your spiritual balance and, and your peace um, so, um, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't Christ be a proponent of order? Um, what about freedom? Wouldn't Christ be a proponent of freedom? Well, of course he would. Uh, did he ever try to force anybody to do anything? Or does he respect the freedom given to us by God so that we can choose to follow him or not choose to follow him? Uh, what about people? Well, of course he taught love of people. Instead of you know trying to break people apart, creating disharmony, um, he preached love for everybody. You know, if someone hits you on the on one cheek, turn the other. Love, peace for everybody, always. What about hope? Well, of course, he is. In fact, his whole mission shows us there is hope. There's hope of redemption. There's hope of life after this. No matter what, there's hope of forgiveness. No matter what we've done, all of these features and more um, are. Points of divergence between Christ and an antichrist. So, what about uh, what about taking just a couple of them, a couple of these for this program, for part one of this of this examination into whether or not we have uh, a, you know in our midst an age that could be called um, uh, one of an antichrist. Uh, how about the first one, anti God? We'll take that one, and then this other one about lawlessness, anti anti. An anti-law kind of attitude. Um, what would be like, I suppose, um, a, uh, a a a clearest kind of example of an anti-God, um, you know, uh, penchant in society? Um, wouldn't you see churches attacked, uh, statues of uh, saints? Attacked, wouldn't the clearest, most obvious sign of an anti-God attitude be attacks 
on God and religious symbols themselves where people go to worship? How about a tax on places where people go to worship God so that they can't go to worship God, so the time that they have to, to worship God would be interfered with? That surely would be the clearest type of example of an anti-God kind of rage. We have that. In the last few years, the instances of those types of things are dramatic. You know, before, I never heard of, I mean, for decades, I've never heard of, of churches being attacked. There might be an isolated occasion here or there. But churches being attacked um, in frequent, regular fashion. Uh, last September, Diocese of Brooklyn, a statue of Our Lady of Guadalupe uh, was torn down. A man in broad daylight on 9-11, mind you, on 9-11, um, a day when, you know, there was a, a very devilish attack, when 3,000 people, innocent people, unknowing people, when they had no idea what was coming, uh, were killed because somebody took a plane and flew it into a building uh, taking the people on those planes hostage and giving them no freedom to have any further, you know, uh, desires. They, their lives were cut short. Um, on that day, that dramatic, disturbing day for our nation, um, on that day, somebody in broad daylight was seen on video climbing a fence, tearing down uh, the statue of Our Lady, throwing it to the ground. Its face was smashed. Her hands were, were broken off. Why attack, attack a statue of uh, the Blessed Mother? What's behind that? Is it not rage? Is it not anything other than just an anti-God fever? Um, last, uh, last July, for example, uh, you could look around the country and find a slew of Catholic churches from Florida to California Attacked. There are many instances uh, of in in a you know in a short cons, you know consolidated time frame. Churches were being attacked left and right. Uh, there was a, a church in Ocala, Florida, called Queen of Peace. A man drove his car into the church and set fire to the church, lighting two gallons of gasoline. When people were inside trying to worship God. Um, the day before the attack, some men from that very parish had gone to a group of local police officers and given them medals of St. Michael the Archangel for protection against, um, against the battle with the devil. And uh, within 24 hours, those same police officers were the ones who were called to that church to arrest this guy who attacked the church. Coincidence? Um, in Boston, Massachusetts, same time frame, statue of Our Lady set on fire. Her face and upper body were burned, set on fire. A statue of Our Lady. Why does that bother somebody, that there's a statue of Our Lady that some people want to worship? And it bothered somebody enough that they had to burn it, get rid of it, disfigure it, discolor it, make it black. Why? It's... I mean, what would an antichrist do? Would not an antichrist do precisely that? Um, 
Statue of a Lady in New York, same period of time. Uh, unidentified person spray-painted it. It was outside a Catholic preparatory school and seminary, a little Catholic high school. Unidentified person spray-painted Statue of Our Lady. Fort Worth, Texas. Protestant church biz, uh, building was vandalized. Uh, Mission San Gabriel uh, Archangel, founded in 1771 uh, by Saint uh, or uh, by the French the Franciscan missionary Fray Junipero Serra um, in California. Uh, that church was burned. Um, at the time, it was reported, and I wasn't sure uh, why uh, or if there was arson or not. But there was a lot of uh, there were a lot of uh, instances of arson in uh, in France, uh, for example. Um, Church of uh, St. Sulpice in, in Paris, where the Da Vinci Code movie was filmed. That church was set on fire. 19th century statue of the Virgin Mary was smashed. St. Nicholas Catholic Church in Hules, if I can pronounce that correctly. Uh, at that parish, I believe there were three incidents. Yeah, that parish, there were three, in, three incidents reported in 10 days. This was last summer. Uh, oh no, excuse me, this was uh, 2019. Um, same time frame, uh, St. Elaine Cathedral in Lavar. Statues and crosses were smashed. Notre Dame des Enfants in Nimes, France, was looted. And human excrement was used to draw a cross on the wall. Consecrated hosts were scattered outside the church with rubbish. These are clear, brazen... Uh, Diabolic, are they not? Attacks on churches. Um, Notre Dame Church in Dijon, Eucharistic hosts were stolen and scattered. These are all within the last, you know, two, three years. Um, these are just from a couple of uh, news articles that I, that I pulled off. Um, you know, in Alberta, Canada, 10 churches in Alberta vandalized in a single day this year. 10 churches in one Canadian province in one day. Um, there's an activist, his name is Sean King. And during the time of the George Floyd uh, riots and disturbances uh, last summer, uh, he called for all images depicting Jesus as a, quote, white European, close quote, and his mother to be torn down because they are forms of white supremacy. So now, if you want to worship Jesus uh, or pray to a Blessed Mother Mary, um, you know, the tens of millions, hundreds of millions of Americans uh, describe themselves, still, still describe themselves as Christian. If you want to worship Christ, you're a racist. At least if Christ is depicted in a statue as a white European. These are forms of white supremacy. Um, there are, these are just, you know, some of these attacks. Um, and interestingly enough, in Canada, this man who uh, had been an advisor and close friend to the Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau, uh, this man is named Gerald Butts. Um, and on Twitter, he said it, quote, may be understandable, close quote, why people 
are attacking churches. Um, another person, Harsha Walia, executive director of the British Columbia Civil Liberties Union, uh, referring to Catholic parishes, wrote on Twitter, burn it all down. That's a quote, burn it all down. In Canada, another, another person, a lawyer, Naomi Sayers, said she would help burn down Catholic churches and would help defend anyone uh, caught attempting arson. Um, this man, Butts, Gerald Butts, said, um, you know, he said he was an altar boy in a small Atlantic Canadian parish in the early 1980s. This is a quote. I was an altar boy in a small Atlantic Canadian parish in the early 1980s. I can understand why someone would want to burn down a church, though I do not condone it. I can understand, I can't understand why someone would burn down a church. You burn down a place where people go to worship God. You assume for yourself the authority to take away their right to do that. You attack a symbol of the church itself. You attack Christ himself when you take the Eucharistic hosts and scatter them around with garbage on the ground outside a church. These are direct attacks on, on God. They are meant to send messages. They are certainly something that an antichrist would do. We're living with this. This is a trend that's, that's, that's becoming more and more common. There are more and more of these stories. Churches, statues, burned, attacked. Age of the Antichrist? What about lawlessness? What about lawlessness? What about, you know, some, of the, some feature number one of the Age of the Antichrist? Anti-God. Anti-God rage. There you go. We just... We just went through a bunch of them. Item number two, right? Item number two on this list. Lawlessness. St. Paul talks about it. Lawlessness. An anti-law kind of attitude, behavior. Do we see that? I'll give you not one, but five social trends. Not just isolated occurrences, but trends in society. Prosecutors refusing to prosecute the law. Um, a widespread effort to defund and get rid of police. Um, bail reform that suggests that, that, that seeks to have people who are charged with crimes let back onto the street. Um, a... Um, a refusal to enforce immigration law. You can have compassion for immigrants who want to come to this country, and that's fine, and the church church is very vocal about that. But there are laws. And for people who are supposed to enforce the law, deciding we're not going to, um, uh, you, you can change the law, but until you change the law, it is the law. If you decide not to enforce the law, just like these prosecutors do, that's lawlessness. Uh, what about election laws that require 
voter ID. We'll talk about that in a minute. If you can't have voter ID because supposedly you're going to disenfranchise some small segment of the population, and it would be a small segment of the population that doesn't have some form of ID, you potentially disenfranchise everybody. Everybody. Uh, it wasn't that sort of a diabolic or clever kind of attack. Because there are a few people that don't have ID, we're going to make it so that nobody has ID. And if that's the case, then it's possible for uh, election cheating and fraud to occur. There's no way, there'd be no way to know that votes are valid, that vote that a particular vote was cast by a particular person. There's no way to know that. Voter ID is the height. Uh, I mean, without voter ID, with, without, I mean, voting is the right of the people to decide who will represent them. And the only way to know that is to know that the people have voted one by one. You have to be able to confirm that. Um, and if, if not, then you make it possible for the votes of everybody to be cheated, the votes of everybody to be not counted. I mean, you could have one election result by that's because most of the people you know decided to vote a certain way. But if you have no way of knowing who it was who actually voted, those results could be altered, changed, cheated. You know, the cheating could occur. And then in that case, uh, the votes of the majority, if not everybody, would be reversed, thwarted, disenfranchised. The majority of the people could be disenfranchised. Their votes could be rejected. How about, um, how about taking some of these examples? Uh, prosecutors who won't enforce the law. There is a, uh, a DA in Suffolk County, which is Boston, Suffolk County, Massachusetts, she came up with a list of 15 crimes she will not prosecute. They include trespassing. Trespassing. So somebody comes onto your property. Um, do they mean you harm? Supposing they came onto your property meaning to do harm, but for some reason, you know, you know, got called off or prevented from doing so. Doesn't matter. They won't be prosecuted. Shoplifting. Shoplifting. I think it was in uh, was it San Francisco where the DA decided uh, if it's under nine hundred and fifty dollars, we're not going to prosecute it. So anything less than a thousand, you can steal a hundred, two hundred, five hundred. There are stores closing their doors because there's so much shoplifting going on; they can't stay in business. Why is that right that you can take property that belongs to somebody else as long as it doesn't cost more than you know nine hundred dollars? Why is that right? And if it's not right, and of course it's not right then what is that what message does that send to people that there's no law to prevent this that doing something wrong is okay and once that idea is put into people's minds then they're, they're going to extend it well if that's okay then this should be okay then this should be okay that should be okay everything should be okay you're starting down a slippery hill towards all lawlessness. Something wrong is okay. 
that, um, that's going to have repercussions. That's, it's not just going to stop there. Anytime you say something wrong is okay, anytime you do that at all, there are potential huge consequences. But the list, we've only gotten two steps on this list so far. Uh, number three, well, larceny under 250, so uh, similar to shoplifting. Receiving stolen property, that's also okay. Operating with a suspended license is okay. Breaking and entering into a vacant property or for the purpose of sleeping or seeking refuge is okay. you got a homeless person, he's got no place to sleep, he breaks into your house. That's okay. Um, if there are homeless people who've got no place to sleep or, you know, then we as a society need to do something about that. But to give somebody the permission to break into somebody else's house, that's not okay. I mean, the Catholic Church, there are myriad, you know, charities out there that try to prov- provide places for people to sleep. And certainly the Catholic Church as, you know, I think the Catholic Church uh, is in the world, uh, provides more charitable work and resources than any other single entity, and I don't think it's close. Uh, breaking and entering, as long as you do it for a certain reason, that's okay. Wanton or malicious destruction of property, that's okay. So you can shoplift. You can destroy other property, like maybe perhaps statues of the Virgin Mary. Miners in possession of alcohol, that's okay. Um, What will happen to those miners if they're told, that's okay? Won't they progress to the next thing? Drug possession, that's okay. Drug is possession with intent to distribute and, and, you know, uh, uh, and corrupt others, that's okay. (laughs) Resisting arrest. Uh, with regard to these particular offenses. That's also okay. So you can resist the authority of the police. That's okay. How many ways can you put into the minds of people that doing things that are wrong are okay? And what consequences does that have for society? How is anybody safe? In Portland um, last summer, uh, they had 100 days of public unrest, riots, wanton and malicious destruction of property, which the DA in Boston thinks doesn't need to be prosecuted, and apparently also the DA in Portland. District attorney there declined to file charges against 70% of the people charged with these crimes. Of course, there's numbers of people that weren't charged, but of those that were charged, 70% he refuses to prosecute. Not 10%, not 20%. Not even 50, but 70. So even if you get arrested, you stand a three out of four chance of being let go. You can get away with it. You can break the law. It's okay. Um, Yeah, I mean, I could go over the, the numbers, but what difference, you know, that doesn't matter. And they're not alone. The DA in Chicago, similar. DA in L.A. has a whole similar list of people he won't prosecute. Major American cities, we will not prosecute. Now, of course, that's simply somebody refusing to do a job they swore they would do. But that also is okay. What about defunding the police? 
20 major American cities um, have cut back budgets uh, for police. Uh, New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, Seattle, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, Baltimore. Uh, Portland, Oregon, they disbanded a gun violence reduction unit. Um, you know, San Francisco, um, they made a pledge to uh, defund, uh, I think, $120 million over two years. Uh, Denver and Oakland, they removed police from schools. We had school shootings before, and the country was, you know, uh, was crying. You know, how, how can this happen? How can we let this happen? We've got to be able to do something. Well, now we're going to take police out of the schools. Um, Seattle council members pledged, originally thought it was a good idea, I don't think they went through it, that to cut the police budget by 50%. In Minneapolis, um, they reduced the city's police force, slashing, I guess, $8 million from the budget. Um, and they had a state mandate in Minneapolis. State law required that they would have, had to have a minimum of 889 police officers. Um, they fell below that, uh, down to somewhere around 600 or so, 600 and somewhere in the 600s. Uh, yeah, they were um, state mandate 889, um, short more than 200 officers, so something less than 689. Violent crime uh, the, the arrests down this year, down 30%. A neighbor called 911. Her car was being stolen. The 911 operator said, sorry. We don't have anybody to send. Um, um, you know, I mean, you've got, um, you know, last year was the second deadliest in the city's histories. Homicides up 34%. Six-year-old girl was riding in a car, shot and killed. Nine-year-old girl jumping on a trampoline, shot and killed. Six-year-old girl eating a McDonald's, McDonald's Happy Meal, returning home in her mom's car, shot and killed. Uh, bullets flying all over, certainly in Chicago, that's that's happening. Uh, in Minneapolis, however, they filed a lawsuit because they were violating the law, and there was a state law for 889 police officers. So now they're under a, a, a judge's ruling that they're going to have at least 730 um, within a year from now. And that's still going to be 150 short of what the state was required, you know, by state law, what they're required to have. Why would you not have police? Uh, you're going to have less arrests. You're going to have 911 operators saying, got nobody to send you. That's lawlessness. People can do things and there's no police to stop them. How about um, bail reform? That's a good idea. In New York, they passed a bail reform law in 2019. A uh, series of crimes were listed as ones where judges could not require bail. Um, there is a man, oh, who was he? I think he was City University of New York uh, professor uh, there uh, in their law department. Uh, but anyways, he examined the law that was passed, and he found at least 25 felonies for which no bail would be uh, allowed, or, uh, or, or at least required, uh, that uh, were violent or create the potential for violence. Uh, but they were nevertheless ex exempt from bail. Um, so these people let back out on the streets. 
So you have less police to enforce the law, to make arrests, to stop people from doing harm to others. But those that you do arrest, DAs won't prosecute them, or if they are prosecuted, they won't stay in jail. They're let out on their own recognizance because they'll return for trial. Really? Um, Of these 25 felonies that were violent or create the potential for violence that this professor found, these 25 included aggravated assaults on a child, prisoner escapes, rapes, riots, robberies, vehicular manslaughter. Somebody dies. Um... No bail. They get arrested. And then, but they're not going to stay in jail. They get put back out. Within four months after New York passed its law, it was forced to retreat from this idea, this grand idea. Um, So there was some retreating that was going on. Um, But still, um, there's a lot of people uh, claim that, uh, you know, the. The troubles caused by this this bail law uh, still there. Five police unions um, just put out, um, you know, this uh, this statement that still decries so many problems with this bail law. What about the border? We have a law that says you're not supposed to cross the border unless you go through the proper channels. And recently, a Cuban-born Homeland Security Secretary, Alejandro Mayorkas, told people from Cuba that if they try to come to the U.S. um, without going through the proper channels, without going through the legal channels, they will be deported. But yet on the southern border, Arizona, Texas, uh, you've got more than a million people in a half a year period so far that are crossing the border without going through the proper channels. We're not enforcing the law. So what happens is Congress has passed a law that says you have to go through these legal channels if you want to come into this country. Congress can change the law. They haven't yet. So we're going to ignore the law to the tune of a million people in a half a year. That's policymaking. That's doing something that's reserved to the legislature. So our law says that laws get made by Congress. Federal laws get made by Congress. But the executive administration that's supposed to and swears to enforce the law that Congress makes doesn't do so. Um, not in an isolated case, but for a million people in a half a year period, so that they're, change, they're effectively changing the law. You don't need to go through these legal channels. If you have a million people, two million people, if you're on pace to do two million people a year, I mean— if that's that's something that, that's something that's so large that that that's something that affects society so much that needs to be decided by Congress. So if you don't, we're not following the law. Lawlessness, voter ID. We've talked about uh, we've talked about that uh, already. Um, recently, the Supreme Court uh, Brnovich case addressed a uh, case out of uh, Arizona where they required that people vote in their own precincts where they reside. And uh, ballot harvesting was not permitted. 
you can't go collect votes from other people because that's too um, prone to uh, to cheating or fraud. Uh, the people have to cast their own votes. And the Supreme Court looked at this, and, and people said, well, but there's no evidence of, of widespread massive cheating. And the court said, well, um, you know, it is, uh, it should go without saying, quoting the court, go without saying, should go without Queen saying that a state may take actions to prevent election fraud without waiting for it to occur. Um, and the Department of Justice has just come out with a lawsuit against Georgia because they're requiring similar protections to their voting to protect the votes of all the people. And the Department of Justice of the United States of America is now seeking to overturn these requirements in Georgia, uh, as uh, as this case in Arizona was also fought, fought by people. There are people that are trying to fight um, these laws that are pr- going to protect the validity and the sanctity of the votes of all the people. And when that happens, of course, people won't trust that the votes in the elections are fair, that they're accurate. Uh, and you're going to have lawlessness, a lack of peace, a lack of order, a lack of trust. Um, the, you know, if, if there was just, you know, isolated occasions of one of these things, but when you have widespread instances across the board in all these different areas, prosecutors, police, uh, you know, governors, mayors, exec- you know, federal executive branch officials showing a disrespect for the law, this is this is a situation where there is lawlessness. People are being told laws don't matter. There is disorder. There is a lack of peace. That is something that, in fact, would be seen or promoted by an antichrist. If we're living in an age when churches are attacked, statues of the Virgin Mary and saints torn down, desecrated, where laws are not respected. Um, there's a lot of upheaval. There's a lot of lack of peace. Um, there is cause to be worried, as the cardinals that we referenced earlier um, worried, that we're living in a time of trial and testing. And if Paul was able to speak to us in America, he would tell us, as he told the Thessalonians 2,000 years ago, Hang on to what you were taught. Well, this has been another edition of St. Paul's Letters to America. We hope you found it a little provocative that we're looking at some of these social things through a religious lens and asking questions about them. We hope you've enjoyed it. We hope you'll join us again. But until you do, may God's best blessings be with all of you.